Welcome to The Youth Voice, a new podcast and blog giving young people a voice in politics. So today we're joined by Jerry Carroll, MLA for West Belfast and leader of People Before Profit in the North. So thank you for joining us, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I think we'll launch straight into the questions. Uh, recently in Wales, in local government elections, we have been, our young people have been given the opportunity to vote at 16. Something that I and a lot of young people in the North want to see brought in. So where does where do you and people before profit start in this, both in the North and in the South for votes at 16? Yeah, we're absolutely fundamentally for and in favour of, of votes at 16. Um, to be honest with you, I don't see or understand, never mind agree with the argument to not allow people at 16 to vote. The only argument that, um, that you sort of see, if you read between the lines, is that the government think that all young people are radical and that therefore don't want them to vote at 16. And I'm sure there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of truth maybe in, in some of that. Um, but nevertheless, young people are paying taxes, young people are working, um, young people can do many things um, and I think they should be able to vote. I don't see, again, the rationale or the argument against it. Uh, and obviously there's a, there's a bit of a patronizing thing sometimes towards young people that says they don't understand or they're not interested or engaged in politics. I think that's that's factually incorrect. You look at um, you know, debates around Scottish independence, Brexit, um, you know, debates a while ago about free education, EMA. I mean, all those debates in the last you know ten years or thereabouts, young people have been you know at the centre of them. Uh, I've been very articulate. Um, so I think there, there's a there, the evidence is is uh, is mountain high. For young people to be allowed to devote at 16 so we, we absolutely support it and endorse it and uh, i think it should be it should be in place a long time ago yeah and one of the big kind of things that people say is oh young people don't understand politics or young people aren't able to engage but i think if i went you know onto any street in belfast or walked out in front of you know city hall where you'll have people protest and if i grabbed any one of them you know over you know 30 how many of them are going to be explained the dehunt system of you know allocating ministers or something like that you know like whereas if i go into my level politics class and i grab anybody any of them could explain something like that or even you know how elections run the country a lot of people don't know yet if you go into an a-level politics class or even any general group of people who understand politics that are young like you know they can easily explain these things whereas a lot of older people can't yeah um some may say some elected representatives may may not even understand that process you know not obviously counting myself in that but um that maybe i'll be a bit cheeky on myself but uh i totally agree um and that's i mean part of that is to reflect the kind of disengagement uh, you know, the many sort of older or middle-aged people may have, you know, and I emphasize may, may have because, you know, Stormont is pretty antiquated and out of date, but uh, the fact that those people may be disengaged from Stormont or from politics generally for all sorts of reasons, you know, shouldn't therefore merit those people losing the right to vote if they want to. Um, and similarly, if young people are very engaged uh, or somewhat engaged or even not engaged at all, um, I mean, they still have a right and they should have a right to, to vote if they are exercised by um, by a certain certain issue. So, yeah, I think it's just, it seems to me, just people who want to defend the, an old, you know, system. Um, I mean, it took a long time for, for working class people, men, initially to get the vote. It took a long time for women and then working class women to get the vote. And it seems to be those who want to defend the status quo or, or you know, may concede at some point, but they're willing to do all they can now 
you know, the basically that young people know, you know, stay in your place, you know, be quiet. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, not a not a good approach to politics, never mind the run of societies. But like I say, I think the, the ground has fallen underneath from those who, who, uh, who are still opposed to it, you know. Yeah, I think that a large part of that as well is the 18 to 24 bracket of voters now is a lot, you know, a lot of them don't vote. You know, I think it's nearly 50% of 18 to 24-year-old voters don't vote. But I think a large part of that comes down to, in school, we're not educated about politics unless you specifically take it as an A-level. You know, most people don't know how electoral systems work because they're not educated. You're not given the opportunity as you're younger to build good habits of actually going out to vote, taking part in democracy. You know, knowing whenever you're moving on to university at 18, if you're on the electoral register and your, you know, address changes, will you be removed? You know, there are so many different aspects that people aren't taught about and it causes such low voter turnout. You know, if that entire 50% bracket took part, you know, you could completely change the the face of Stormont and everybody in it, you know, it could be a completely different party makeup. Yeah, totally. I think so. Uh, that and also, I mean, the fact that people in many ways engage in politics on a daily basis, you know, um, maybe pre-COVID, you know, in terms of if they're involved in a, in a credit union or involved in a community group or a trade union um, or maybe even sort of a, a community organization. And in many ways, that's politics. So I, I agree that people should be taught and not just those who do politics, about the, the structures of, of Stormont and, and sort of parliaments and assemblies, and that, that's important and vital, but also, you know, the politics that people do engage in or can engage in should be, you know, um, explained and accessible um, and discussed and debated um, rather than kind of a, a, a sort of a, how would you say, kind of an easy form of politics being being presented, you know. Um, I would like to see more more debates and discussions in schools um, and I think part of that could, could corner the interest of, of people in politics generally. So yeah, I totally, totally agree. Yeah, and I think one of the big steps that has went towards, you know, giving young people a voice was this uh, new youth assembly. But in my opinion, there has been, you know, attempts and, you know, there has been youth parliaments, you know, in England and there has been Northern Irish representatives going over. But the youth parliament over there is meant to be apolitical. Now, I don't really understand how you can have a parliament that is apolitical, but there is a lot of worry there that, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of young people gathering in Stormont, not having any actual effect, because at the end of the day, a lot of politicians refuse to listen to younger people. But I know your party has been in support of it, but I think if it is going to happen, it needs to be given actual power. Like, I'm not saying it should be making laws for everybody, but, you know, given some kind of actual proper influence over Stormont, yeah, I mean, we might be in a better place if we're probably sort of 16, 17 year olds, maybe, and then some of the ministers up here, um, honestly. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you just sound like it's a, it's a great idea. Um, maybe it was last year or two years ago, the Youth Forum were involved, I think other organisations, not our new forum, and other organisations were involved in a kind of a, um, a many kind of convening of what an assembly would look like. Um, installment. I know that's not the title of the event, but uh, that's my quickest shorthand way of describing it. Uh, but it was a really, really, um, you know, brilliant idea. And, uh, you know, you saw young people, um, I know I kind of sound maybe a bit patronizing saying this as somebody my age, but people really just lighten up the, the debate, you know, talking about Irish language, sort of trans rights, young people, mental health, and they kind of, in a way that they were like, 
you know, bang, um, you know, on point, um, passionate. And I think that was it was a good example and a good sort of, uh, how do you say, showcase of what young people could do. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree about more um, powers for that. Um, I raised it there last week in Stormont about, you know, the assembly getting uh, proper funding so to ensure that it's not relying upon reliant upon ministers sitting in place because obviously there was a period of time there three years where there's no ministers and you know for all intents and purposes the youth assembly work on it in terms of installment i think effectively granted a halt or certainly couldn't couldn't proceed so um that's some of the issues that, that i've been raising and, and these form others have been raising so yeah i, I would I, I would be uh in favor of of youth assembly have more yeah, powers or, or resources, maybe, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is in the terms of reference, but um, why couldn't the, the ministers and the executive, you know, all between them, make an appearance once a year um, to the Assembly? It may not sound like a lot, you know, but in the absence of anything being written um, in, this, in the statute or in the, in the rules, I think it would be a good thing for young people to go right you know, once a month we have a chance to quiz uh, and press a minister uh, and they have a, a site of, or a, how would you say, a diary of who's coming up so they can prepare their, their questions. And, and yeah, so I, I think that would be a, a fantastic idea if we can incorporate that um, into, into the youth assembly as well as some 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 resources. So I think it's a, it's a good idea. And I suppose, yeah, I don't know how, how it can be a political. I mean, everything is political, um, especially all the things that happen um, in this assembly and the youth assembly, but um, yeah, those young people that I've sort of seen um, around the forum and other groups, I think, are well capable of, uh, you know, putting ministers uh, maybe uh, if not uh, in their place and certainly under scrutiny. So yeah, I would support all those kind of uh, ideas. Yeah, and uh, I suppose one of the big parts of your party, People Before Profit, is the idea of you know a thirty-two county socialist republic and this whole idea of you know actually focusing on workers and representing workers uh, one of the things i noticed in the difference between minimum wage in the south and i know living wage and stuff in the south it's more expensive to live in the south but for somebody who's under 18 up north it is 455 the minimum wage for a 16 year old up here but wait in pounds but then whenever you look at it in the south it works out at a really if you're looking at a really bad euro rate 583 would you push for both a raise in minimum wage for everybody but specifically for young people who are doing part-time work and you know things like that absolutely um i mean there, there's calls for um sort of different levels some people are pushing for a a £15 I think, living wage, isn't it? Um, and others are kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, present for a minimum wage to be increased. Um, and we'd support that for every sector in society, young people, you know, older people, uh, everybody. And the fact is that, you know, people are struggling to live. Young people have been, you know, maybe not in school or university uh, in the last period, but they've been working in supermarkets, working in uh, restaurants when they're opened uh, and sort of you know, hospitality and retail generally. So at the very least, uh, in order to recognise the, the role that they have, um, they have done throughout the pandemic, I think there needs to be an increase in, in minimum wage. Um, so yeah, we would de definitely support it being raised across across the island. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, as you said or indicated, it's more expensive in Dublin and in the south generally. But that doesn't mean that you know people in the north and young people shouldn't be should be subject to um, a low rate 
uh, of pay because uh, it's more expensive in the south. And I think generally speaking, in terms of the all Ireland, Northern Ireland dimension, we want to see sort of the best uh, approach happening across the island in the sense of okay, uh, there's aspects in the north that don't exist in the south. There's a NHS which is obviously underfunded, but is an important um, tool and, and sort of. Uh, thing in, in our society. We, we would like to see that extended right across the island. There's uh, rights in the south that people in the north don't have in relation to uh, women's rights, abortion rights, um, suppose up until recently equal marriage wasn't available in the north. So we would like to see sort of the best uh, policies being implemented right across the island for everybody in the island, whether they're in you know, South Armagh, South Donegal, South Cork or you know, South Belfast or wherever. Um, and I think workers' rights has to be at the centre um, of any um, New Ireland or United Ireland for us. Otherwise, um, you know, people you know may not even vote for it, even if they do come from a traditional nationalist uh, community. And also, we we'll have to you know stray for um, something better, and we cannot repeat the past uh, past mistakes of uh, adopting a twenty first century. Uh, uh, version of, of labour must wait. I think that will be detrimental to the, the impact of many, many workers um, and the young ones that you um, refer to. And uh, I suppose one of the big things in the news at the minute is this Northern Ireland, you know, 100 year celebration. One of, it has drawn one side, you know, nationalists are, seem to be very against it, which is very understandable. Unionists see it as, you know, something that has to be done. You know, we have to celebrate, you know, the centenary of the state. Where does People Before Profits stand on the whole centenary issue? Um, certainly what we celebrate, uh, to, be, to be blunt about it. Um, but we will be, you know, engaged in some form of discussion, uh, uh, around it, um, you know, it's a seminal moment, obviously, yeah, maybe a bit of an understatement, but a seminal moment in history for people on the island, not just in the north. Um, our perspective is, you know, um, like the main, I think our lights went off there, sorry, <laughs> motion sensor, um, nothing else. Um, the, the main, um, what do you call it? I lost my train of thought there. What was the same, partition? Yeah, the, the main opponents of partition, obviously, you know, stem from uh, those in the sort of nationalist Republican camp or, or community, if you will. Um, but there is a tradition, um, maybe sometimes buried or not referred to um, enough, of a, of a socialist tradition on partition, which seen, which sees and seen the sort of formation of the northern state as part of a, you know, carnival of reaction, as Connolly said, part of a counter-revolution, which installed not only one reactionary um, sectarian state in the north, but a reactionary, bigoted, uh, and cruel state in the South. Um, so we don't want to celebrate that, but what we will seek to do as best as we can um, is to try and commemorate and remember those radicals, revolutionaries who fought for a you know, a basic sense of, of liberty and, and, and equality and justice. And not only was that people um, you know, from, from the sort of uh, traditional United Ireland camp, if you will, but it's also you know the many thousands of what they were called rotten prods who were kicked out of the shipyards um, in, um, in East Belfast. Obviously, many Catholics were expelled from, from our workplaces um, in uh, 20 and, and 21, uh, but also we had a, a, a sort of slew of uh, radical Protestants, you know, communists and sort of socialists and, and labor people 
they were kicked out of, of the shipyards and other workplaces. So we want to recognize that, and not just as a historical um, point, which in and of itself is, is pretty pretty interesting, but to say that you know these binary camps that people are placed in, uh, in politics, uh, in the North in particular, aren't fixed, aren't sort of everlasting, and can be challenged, uh, overturned, uh, cracked away at. Um, so yeah, we won't be commemorating, we won't be uh, you know, looking at any special stubs or <laughs> whatever's being proposed by the NIO, but we will, you know, um, as best as we can, be, be seeking to engage in you know, a lot of discussion and debate around the issue and what it meant for people, <clears throat> um, you know, primarily in the north, but also uh, across, uh, across the island. Uh, and we'll be, you know, attempting to, to place it in a, in, a, in a position which, you know, was, um, you know, was the creation of the Northern State was a, was a, was part of the rolling back of the revolutionary tradition um, within Ireland, which I think has been to the detriment of everybody uh, across this island. So I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but we'll, <laughs> we'll be seeking to, to do all of that or as much of that as, as, uh, as, we, as we can. Okay. And um, one, I think, one, just because of time, one final thing. Your party during the Brexit referendum supported Brexit, which a lot of people, you know, saw issue with, which when you actually look back, Brexit isn't exactly a right wing idea. It was just kind of pirated by right wing fundamentalists who led the campaign. But then you campaigned against the idea of a Tory Brexit, which, you know, is what we is what it looks like we're going to get, either that or a no deal. What is the people for profit position on Brexit now? And what can you see happening or what do you yeah. want to happen? Yeah, well, I suppose four years ago now, um, I mean, we, we took a position that effectively said, you know, you kind of alluded to it there. Um, you know, we, we have no illusions in the European Union as a democratic uh, or just entity. Anybody who believes that should look at the um, the fortress Europe that I created, you know, the thousands of Mediterranean uh, dead bodies, you know, uh, refugees fleeing Libya and other places in the Middle East, trying to get into sort of Europe as it's presented as a, as a wonderful place. And those were, they were died, they were, sorry, drowned uh, and died as, as, a, result, as a result of the, the hard border that the EU um, in place. So, and many other issues and problems with the EU. Um, but obviously, as you said, I mean, the, 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 the referendum was a binary, yes or no. You know, and obviously uh, on both sides, there was people who, uh, or certainly I, um, despised, you know. So obviously on one side, you have the horrible likes of Farage, you know, vote saying leave, but also uh, arguing for Remain. You have the detestable Tony Blair, um, Alistair Campbell, you know, people who are war criminals. Um, and I think, you know, in that context, a socialist argument for leaving and not endorsing the EU wasn't, really heard in any real sense in the North, and maybe even arguably in, in Britain at all. Um, and that's maybe a, <laughs> for, to understand that is maybe a, a discussion for a, a, a different day, because it's quite long-winded to untangle that. But in short, what we wanted to see, um, or what we have said since, is that any deal should be put to the people in the North. So I don't have any illusions, and I'm a supporter of the European Union. But I recognise that people uh, in the North uh, voted to remain and stay in the European Union. I am a Democrat. I think that people uh, in the North should have their wishes uh, and their vote respected. Um, the British state uh, do not. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Boris Johnson and even May um, refused to sort of accept that basic point. Similarly, the people in Scotland, uh, they're being told they must you know, shut up and, and deal with uh, the vote. 
um, in England essentially uh, as a result of what should be in place for, for Scotland and the North. So we're saying any, any uh, final day should we put the people in the North for a referendum. But also, I mean, the fact that we're having a renewed and sped up conversation about United Ireland is because of Brexit. Um, that's because, you know, there's been a crack in the British state. Uh, there's been really sort of monumental shift in, um, in, in attitudes and beliefs amongst many people. People maybe traditionally from a, from a soft U or small U unionist background are now kind of open to the possibility of United Ireland. Mostly to be sort of uh, the remain and say the European Union, but all these kind of certainties are thrown up, up in the air. They're in a flux, and for us, we just uh, we think that people in the north should have their say. Um, the British state should not be imposing any deal, or even attempting to uh, impose, if you can, an OD. Um, and they've ignored concerns about the border all along, um, and the actually the people in the north is just irrelevant uh, and at best a nuisance. Um, so we think that approach has been wrong; it's been damaging, uh, and ultimately um, people should be uh, listened to in the north. I should have a, should have said and a vote on any final deal, uh, which is what we have argued uh, from 2016. But ultimately, we operate on the basis of you know we don't. Uh, trust or have any any illusions uh, in London or Brussels to operate in the interests of people, you know, whether in Belfast, Armagh, Dublin, uh, Derry, or wherever, because they essentially, uh, whilst they have disagreements, obviously on Brexit, they are fundamentally united in ensuring that you know people, uh, you know, the profit margins of the wealthy aren't challenged, corporations aren't challenged, um, and yeah, we'll we'll do our best to try and put forward that uh, alternative as as best as we can in these sort of choppy, choppy waters. That's that. Yeah, I totally agree with what you've said there. And I think we're going to wrap it up there. So thank you very much for coming on. And uh, to those who will be listening to this should hopefully go up within a day or two of it being recorded. Uh, hopefully next time we'll have Senator Mary Siri Kearney of Fine Gael. That, that she'll hopefully be our next guest. So thank you for tuning in.